you have a Bible, take it this evening and turn to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, 3, we are in a series just for the month, an end times survival guide. Why would we be in a survival guide for the end times? Well, because I believe we're in the end times. Now, here's, here's the deal. So did Paul the Apostle. Paul knew that he was in the end times. We, in the church age, are in the end times. But it seems like we're seeing enough evidence of the assimilation of events in the tribulation. They're, they're not done yet. It's, it's not open yet. It, it's not up and running yet. The players are not in place yet. But it seems like we can see the dust from all the construction going on on this side of the tribulation. And I believe that's what's going to happen. I believe those, that generation, those people who are, who are, uh, who are the ones living at the time of the rapture, which I tend to think are the people I'm looking at right now. I believe they're going to see things that make it evidential that the tribulation is right around the corner. Now, if that's the case, which I'm not going to be surprised if it is, hallelujah, because we'll be in heaven. If it's not the case, then we have more time to serve the Lord, more time to trust Him, more time to win folks to Christ. I say hallelujah. So in that respect, it is a win-win. This evening, I want to bring a message entitled, What to Expect in the Last Days? What to Expect? In 2 Peter 3, I'll read just a few verses, beginning in verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first. Notice. What's the first thing we're supposed to notice? Notice this first. That there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. It appears like one of the first things we're going to notice. But the last days, we're in the last of the last days, one of the first things I believe we're going to notice is the preponderance, the increase of scoffers. Those that say, oh, I've heard that preaching so many years of the Lord's return, I've heard it for, for decades. He hasn't come back yet. Oh, we don't have to worry about that. Oh, it's just, it's, I know he's going to come back sometime, but oh, we're not going to worry about it now. Scoffing at the message of the prophets. What do you expect in the last days? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love and blessing and for your goodness, and thank you for giving us this, these insights in your word for things that we ought to keep look for. You say we're supposed to be watchful. We're supposed to keep an, a, a vigilant lookout, looking out for evidences of your return. And so, Lord, would you lead us and guide us tonight and help us to know what we're supposed to do. For we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the last days, scoffers walking after their own lust. The word scoff here means to jeer at or to mock. Mockers. The word scoff, or the world scoffs whenever we try and attribute God to an event. So something happens in the world, and you hear somebody say, well, 
well, God must have been doing this, or God did this. And the world laughs, the world mocks. There were those that said on 9-11, when the Twin Towers were attacked, that God was judging our nation for its wickedness. The world mocked. When we suggest that the present upheaval in the world, an obvious push toward a one-world government, is that which is predicted in the Bible, the world mocks. More and more observant believers are watching events occur that are otherwise unexplainable. They try. The world, the world tries. And more and more, you're, he you're hearing phrases like uh, uh, biblical proportions. They're saying, a biblical magnitude, they're saying. Of course, they don't mean that this is really what's happening in the Bible. They simply are referring back to the fact that the Bible prophesied these things. I read an account, in fact, I saw it on the Weather Channel, of all places. It's talking about a rogue wave that occurred offshore in Canada back in 2020. Now, the wave was only 57 feet tall, and by standards of mega tsunamis, that's, that's nothing. But for that particular area, it was the tallest wave ever recorded in that area. And scientists are unsure what causes these massive, rare, rogue waves. What was interesting to me is the reporter said that scientists who captured this information called this wave a once-in-a-millennium wave. Interesting. Once every thousand years. Why now? Scoffers. Scoffers will place no urgency on his return. <sighs> to them, the Lord's return or the end of the world as teachers of prophecy are all either charlatans out to make a buck or weak-minded, gullible lemmings who can't think for themselves. And most of us are in that group as far as they're concerned. The Bible says here that those scoffers will be blinded by their own lusts. They'll be walking after their own lusts. I found this interesting. The word walking here. The word walking gives the sense, the actual word gives the sense of, of walking away because of trying things or experiencing things. There's a walking away because of an experience. The illustration is trying a new drug at a party and becoming hooked. Or deciding that one must find a marriage partner simply by sleeping around, just trying it out. Just trying it out. Scoffers will be blinded by their own lust by walking the wrong way. Also by chasing their own lusts. And it didn't take me long to, to consider the, uh, the epidemic we have worldwide, and we're seeing it in our face right now, of drugs. A horrible drug epidemic. Colorado legalized marijuana in 2014. What a party Colorado has had. Rarely, when we're going door knocking, rarely do we have a block where we don't smell marijuana smoke coming out of the house. When we were here buying, trying to buy a home, the realtor was showing us various homes, and there were a couple of homes we could not even go into. The stench of the marijuana was so strong, sickening. They made marijuana a legal pleasure drug. Oh, I won't hurt anybody. It's not hurt anything. 
Now, there is a bad side of these pleasure drugs. See, marijuana is known as a gateway drug. Statistically, when a person messes around with marijuana, they're not going to be satisfied. I'd be at a party and somebody would be offering them something just a little stronger. Not dangerous, just a little, little stronger. Have you tried this? Have you tried this? And leads them to another drug, which in turn leads them to another drug. I read in an article about behavioral signs of drug abuse, a list of them. Someone with drug abuse oftentimes has outbursts of anger or frustration displays irritability, engages in risk-taking behaviors. They lie. They're liars. Or they make deceitful comments. They deny drug-seeking behaviors. They change their social groups. They're no longer hanging around these friends. They have, have new friends. They lose control in social settings. Spend a lot of money on drugs show an inability to complete daily work or home responsibilities. They struggle with maintaining meaningful relationships. They display a loss of interest in previously enjoyed activities. And they remove from religious or spiritual connections. Of course, fentanyl has been the drug of choice in the news these days. It's a big deal. Why? Because it's killing so many people. Since 2015, Colorado has seen over a 1,000% increase in fentanyl-related deaths, which is greater than any other state except Alaska. The leading cause of overdoses is fentanyl, the synthetic opioid that's 50 times more powerful than heroin. Overdose deaths topped 100,000 for the first time ever in 2021, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention with nearly 70% of them involving fentanyl. Colorado saw an almost 70% increase in fatal fentanyl overdoses from 2020 to 2021, with more than 900 deaths a year, according to the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. From an article entitled, Inside Colorado's Devastating Fentanyl Crisis, Connie Weinrich is looking for a before picture on her iPad. The one where Hannah looks young, vibrant, and healthy. She wants to show that photo first and then the after shot. The image where her daughter in the throes of fentanyl addiction is nearly unrecognizable. In that photograph, they can barely see the talkative girl with the dry sense of humor who loved scary movies, wanted to see the, save the honeybees, excelled at styling hair and doing makeup, and always had a vivid imagination. As a child, Connie says, she was good at pretend. And even as she grew older and something would go sideways, she'd say, let's pretend that didn't happen. Today, the Weinrichs wish they could pretend a lot of things didn't happen. For instance, they might pretend that when Hannah was 15, she hadn't started using cannabis. They might also try to forget about how smoking high THC pot led Hannah to use meth, which led to heroin which led to fentanyl. But they could try to imagine a world where their 23-year-old daughter hadn't been homeless for more than a year and hadn't been breaking into homes trying to find copper wiring to sell for fentanyl. They might also try to, dis to misremember that 
Since April, Hannah had been working on her sobriety and attending services at a drug rehab in Denver. She seemed to be motivated, Connie said. She'd gotten her cosmetology, cosmetology license back. She'd gotten a job, but on the day she received her first paycheck in late July, Hannah left work early and decided to celebrate. At the time, the 25-year-old had been staying with her father. He found her lifeless in her bedroom the next morning. There was fentanyl in her pocket and in her purse, and ultimately in her autopsy report. They brought her down in a body bag. My child. That's something you'll never forget, Connie said. Scoffers. It won't hurt me. Won't bother me. Scoffers are despised. In Jude 1.18, how? That they told you there should be mockers, which is the very same word, original word for scoffers, in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. Mockers. Walking after their own ungodly lusts. And of course, there's a story that... It's hard to comprehend. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 23 and 24. The prophet of God had, had been performing miracles. He'd been ministering. And he became surrounded by a bunch of children. He says, And he went up from thence unto Bethel, and as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him. And said unto him, Go up, thou bald head, go up, thou bald head. And he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood and tear forty and two children of them. Ridiculing Elisha's predecessor, Elijah, who was taken to heaven in a whirlwind, these young children proceeded to mock God's intervention. You do like he did. Go up. Go up like Elijah. Go up, you bald head. Making fun of him. Making fun of God. God saw fit on that day to make a point. That unbelieving mockers will be judged regardless of their age. In Proverbs 30 and verse 17, The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagles shall eat it. Mockers, the Bible says, are despised. In Proverbs 17 and verse 5, Whoso mocketh the poor reproacheth his maker, and he that is glad at calamity shall not be unpunished. Here we see someone mocking the poor. Here's a sign of wicked pride and arrogance. When one sees another with less, it gives them a feeling of superiority. But in James 4, 6, he said, But he, he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Of course, they even mocked Jesus. Perfect man. The God-man. The Son of God. The one that came to seek and to save sinners. The one whose express entrance into this world was for the benefit of the very people that nailed him to that cross. They mocked him. 
In Luke 18, 32, For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated and spitted upon. Luke twenty two sixty three, 63, And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. Luke 23, 11, And Herod with his men of war set him at nod and mocked him, and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. Luke 23, 36, And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. In 2 Peter 3, verses 4 and 5, And saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Here we see scoffers who conscientiously refuse to believe history. God's working in history. Refuse to believe it. Refuse to believe the fact that God intervened in the affairs of man. There's willful ignorance of God. Their contention, all things continue as they were. They look around, people are still eating and drinking. They're still going to work, still going to school, still having babies, getting married. Life is just like it always has been. All things continue as they were. We see no changes, no evidence that the Lord is going or has done anything. He hasn't up until now, so why should he start now? Here's their oversight, though. The Bible says here, By the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. A careful examination of the wording here is describing creation describes the, the separation of the waters as God formed the earth. In the beginning, God created. They deny creation. They deny a creating God. Their oversight is seen in the rest of the verse, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. You mean there was a time on this earth that the water overflowed? Well, of course, the flood. Ah, oh, that flood. Those are just stories. Those are children's stories. You don't really believe that, do you? God intervened in the affairs of man and destroyed all but Noah and his family. But scoffers conscientiously refused to believe that God intervened in the affairs of man. But there's a surprise. Verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. God is going to judge all of the ungodly, whether they think so or not. Whether they believe it or not, God is going to judge the ungodly. There is fire in their future. Society has a willful ignorance of our own past. The average citizen knows very little of history today, very little. As I look around, I see a number of folks that are old enough to have been taught in school similar history that I've been taught. But if you were to attend the average high school today, you would be appalled at the history they're teaching. 
There are doubters today of the Holocaust. Scoffers. Well, that didn't really happen. Somebody just made that up. Of course, there's many doubters even today online of the moon landing. Doubters of Christopher Columbus's discovering the Americas. Doubting that George Washington was a good man. They've done their best to besmirch his character. Willful ignorance of our own past. But beginning in verse number 8, we see flashes of God's timekeeping. You see, here's, here's the deal. There is a celestial time clock that is ticking, and God, God the Father is in control of that celestial time clock. We don't know when the Lord Jesus is going to come. We don't know when the rapture is going to occur. Of course, when the rapture does occur, then we will understand the timing because the Bible lays it out. The rapture occurs, and then there's a seven-year time period, tribulation, judgment seat of Christ. We understand the timing then, but right now we're in this, this, uh, this unknown age, the church age. We don't know when it's going to happen, but God does. In verse number 8, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. Here is something that you need to know. Regardless of where we are on the time frame, wherever we are, okay, here is the return of Christ. Here we are in the church age someplace. Some, regardless where you are, be, be not ignorant of this one thing. What is that? That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Meaning, the way we look at time is completely different than the way God looks at time. We look at a thousand years, a millennium, as a, we can't even conceive of that many years, that, that many generations. We, we, there's so many changes over the last hundred years, let alone the last thousand years, my land. But to God, not a big deal. Day has passed. It's only been a couple days since the Lord was here. The Lord died on the cross. When was that? Two days ago. Two days ago. No, it was over 2,000 years ago. Well, that's what I said a couple days ago. Seeing it from God's perspective, God's got this. He's got it all laid out beautifully. God's timing is not the same as our timing. In Psalm 90 and verse 4, For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past and as a watch in the night. Those thousand years that occurred... My, doesn't time fly fast? Whoo, thousand years, whoo, it just went by so fast. Who would have guessed? We just spent a thousand years gone by. And yet, in reality, isn't that the fact? Our lives are going by so quickly. As did the life of our parents, grandparents, and their parents, and their parents, and their parents. Every one of them saying, my, my life went by so quickly. And then generations start going by so quickly. Before you know it, a thousand years have gone by. When we were young, we would hear older folks say, my, doesn't time go by fast? Whew, this seems like time's going by so much faster. I have learned you can judge a person's age by how often they repeat that statement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had no idea what they're talking about. Time was standing still as I sat in elementary school, looking at the clock, and the ticker wouldn't go. It just... And that was the second hand. It took forever. You see, 
What's the difference between that young child in elementary school where the clock barely moves and the senior citizen that seems like it can't even come up the clock goes so fast? These days, where'd they go? Where did last week go? Where'd last year go? My God, where did last decade go? The difference is experience. That elementary student has such little experience to draw from. All of a sudden, somebody's lived 60, 70, 80 years, and they have a lifetime of experience. Where did it all go? My land. It went, it went so fast. One of the most prevalent explanations is that our perception of time is inherently linked to how much time we have already lived. The older you get, the more memories and experiences you have to draw on. This is one article. God has always lived. Therefore, his perception is infinitely broader than ours. For God, whoo, whoo, thousands of years, whoo, no big deal. Let me take a trip. When my kids were young, and inevitably those kids in the back seat would say, are we there yet? Daddy, are we there yet? Are we there yet? We're going on a trip from Illinois to Colorado, 16 hours. It took us anywhere from 16 to 30 hours, depending on how many times we stopped. Are we there yet, Daddy? And they'd ask that about the first five miles. Are we there again? When are we going to get there, Daddy? When are we going to get there? Well, I understood that that 16-hour trip was going to simply take some time. I understood that because I had driven that trip so many times long before they were born. I understood but just that you'd sit back and you just realize it's going to take some time. I understood that. But for them, they had no conception. 16 hours, they couldn't conceive of 16 hours. They had barely in their minds the reference to what yesterday was like. They, they couldn't conceive of 16 long hours. So I started trying to make the trip fa pass faster by setting some markers, like looking for all the car driving places that's Nebraska, or, or all the ones that's in Colorado, or which, look, look, see if you can find any California license plates. When we start getting, we get to Colorado, whoo, as soon as we hit the Colorado border, they say, where are the mountains? Where are the mountains? We want to see the mountains. Well, you know, once you hit 76, it seems like about a, a day and a half before you hit mountains. It just goes on and on and on and on and on, especially for a kid. So what do you do as a dad? You say, I'll tell you what, I'll pay a quarter. That was back when it meant something. I'll pay a quarter to the person who first sees the mountains. And for the next three minutes, that's, that, 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 that takes care of the time. But after that, then they're bored of that. The frame of reference. The Lord is coming soon. However, God's perspective is still different from ours. He has delayed his coming for over 2,000 years thus far. To him, only a couple days have elapsed. We could be in for another day. A thousand years, then a thousand years. We could be in for another day, a thousand years. But I don't think so. You see, what these are, I'm going to describe for you, are some ticks on God's time clock. Ticks like the Holocaust. God's intervening of the Jews. Tick. The establishment of the nation of Israel in 1948, a tick. The birth pangs, I showed you last week, the birth pangs of earthquakes. We've seen those regular inflections. Approximately every 30 years of birth pangs since 1900. The timing and significance of red moons. 
ticks on God's time clock. Verse number 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Why has God waited so long? Why didn't He take, give us the rapture last year? My God, why didn't He rapture us before 2020? All oh, this COVID debacle. Why in the world? What, there are those say, why didn't God rapture us before World War II? We had to go through all that carnage. Why? But World War I, why didn't God take us to heaven before the world got in this world war? Why? Well, biblically, it's because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That neighbor of yours that's still unsaved, that loved one of yours that's still unsaved, God loves them more than you do. God wants them to trust Him more than you do. And He's hanging on. He's holding on, not allowing the rapture to take place. Why? Because He so desperately wants people to get saved. God loves the world. God's not slack. The word slack here means to be tardy or slow. The Lord is not slack. He's not slow. God's promise of His return seems like it's taken a terribly long time. However, God is not slow, but He is precise. His heart of mercy is on full display in this verse, as He is not willing that any should perish. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. In Hebrews 10, 37, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. In other words, when it's time, He's not going to mess around. When it's time, whew, he's going to be here. Revelation 2.20, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which callest herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things that sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication. And she repented not. God even gave her this wicked picture, this woman, Jezebel, time to repent, but she would not. His 2,000-year delay gave generations the opportunity to hear the gospel and receive it. John 3, 15 through 17, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. In verse number 10, we must be reminded that the day of the Lord will come. It will come. It has not come yet. There have been generations of pastors that have preached, the Lord's returning this year, and He hasn't come yet. But the day of the Lord will come. But that day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. The day of the Lord will come as prophesied. 
All the prophecies have their ultimate fulfillment in the Lord Jesus ruling as King of Kings. All will be subjected to the Lord Jesus at that time. He will take his rightful place in leadership. Revelation 11:15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The day of the Lord will come as prophesied. The day of the Lord will come in spite of the mockers. It will come in spite of his seemingly long delay. In 2 Peter 3.10, he emphasizes this truth, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In Acts 2.19, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. If God says he's going to do it, He's going to do it. It's going to happen. We know that these things, these events are going to happen, and it appears that we're seeing the smoke of all the construction of what's going on right now. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, we're told. This end of the world, the heavens falling apart, will come as a thief in the night. The heavens shall pass away with great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat, and the earth will burn up. Sounds to me like the end of the world. The end of the world's coming! The end of the world's coming! Oh no, the end of the world! Oh, they're right! The end of the world is coming! You see pictures of nuts on the streets of New York City. The end of the world is near! The end of the world is near! And they're almost always look like they're strung out on drugs. But the honest, simple truth is, they're right. The end of the world is near. From God's perspective, it's really close. In Isaiah 51, 6, Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath, for the heavens shall vanish like the smoke. The earth shall wax old like a garment, and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvations will be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Revelation 21.1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Matthew 24.35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. The end of the world is coming! <laughs> and I say, hallelujah! Because we got a new one coming. The new heavens and new earth, Isaiah 65, 17, For behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Revelation 21, 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. So, the day of the Lord will come. Therefore, we are to use our time wisely. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, See then, that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. 
We live in an evil time. I still believe it is a grievous sin what's going on in our country and the murdering of millions of babies. Grievous, wicked sin. We live in an evil time. Oh, it's been so civilized. So sterilized. To where a good percentage of the American populace thinks there's nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong. They're just fetuses. That's all. My daughter Katie had an ultrasound and we got to see a picture of the baby. Due here in just a few weeks. It's amazing what you can see today on ultrasounds. When my kids were born, they showed me a picture of my baby and it scared me. I had no idea what I was looking at. It's like a black and white TV with years ago with all the fuzz on it, you know, and you have to try to get that. I had no idea. This, the doctor said, and here's the, the head. And I said, sure it is, sure it is. Now you can see the head and the eyes, the shoulders. You see the arm crossing the body. And you see it moving and the hands and the fingers. It's incredible. There's a, there's a, a baby in her womb. And there are those that say, that's not a human being. God sees it different. And God calls it evil, what we're doing. You see, we live in an evil time. The days are evil. In Colossians 4, 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. What to expect in the last days? Don't be surprised when somebody mocks you, when you tell them about Christ, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you try to bring in God to the events of what's going on in the world today. Don't be surprised that they mock you and don't believe. Don't be surprised. Why? Because God said it's going to happen. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. not too late. It's not too late to serve the Lord. It's not too late. Oh, it gets discouraging. You wonder, man, are we doing, having any impact at all? Are we making any difference at all? I had a little break in the weather yesterday. It was actually got above 45 degrees. It was getting close to 50 degrees yesterday, and which is still a little nippy out there, but uh, I drug Pastor Vanderhart with me, and we did some door knocking yesterday. met a, a lady, middle-aged lady, and she was very open. And there at her doorstep, I had the incredible privilege of watching her bow her head and trust Christ as her Savior. Now, it's not too late. It's not too late. When, uh, when we are raptured, and when that day does come, and it's going to come, when that day does come, all opportunities we have of winning our loved ones and neighbors to Christ will be over. Now, now I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the Lord's return. I can't wait. But I say that with mixed emotions. Because there are still folks I'm praying for that will get saved. 
and I think you are too. And so what to expect in the end times? Well, expect some scoffers out there, some mockers, but don't let it stop you. Understand that God prophesied that a long time ago. He said it's going to happen, so since we know it's going to happen, just expect it and be willing to tell others of your love for him. Let's bow for prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for your love, your blessing, your mercy, and thank you for having the end times in your hand. It does oftentimes look like things are out of control as we live in a, an evil day. But Lord, as we look, you knew it was coming. You prophesied it. And so Lord, thank you for the fact of being in control. Thank you for reminding us that ours is not to fear it, Ours is not to worry. Ours is to keep our eyes fixed upon you and to be your servant, sharing your good news. Would you please help us, Lord, for your honor and glory. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.